Welcome to the One Rental at a Time podcast. If this is your first time, welcome. If you're a repeat listener, welcome back. On this channel, we have simple goals. We want to inspire investors to move forward. We want to create belief that one rental at a time is possible. And we want to help you take positive steps forward. If you want to learn more about your host, Michael Zuber, please go to Amazon and buy his book, self-titled or self-published, One Rental at a Time. I believe there's a link in the description. If you're ready to get started with buy and hold rentals, but unsure what to do, I strongly encourage you to consider buying our online course. It gives you the tools to get started, help you learn your market, allows you to compare deals, and so much more. Lastly, by buying the course, you are granted access to a private Facebook group where I and my students interact daily. Everyone is equal, and we just keep helping everyone move forward. It is so much fun to watch, and again, I believe a link is in the description. With that, on with the show. Hey everyone, thanks for watching. I have a really exciting show for you today. We have somebody who has been flipping in the Bay Area the last four years uh, successfully, uh, wears the seven-figure moniker, which is not a top line, that's a net-net number, so this is, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, his background is going to be inspiring because he started way back in 11, goes, talks about out of state, talks about buy and hold, and really all those various transitions. So it's going to be a, a fun journey to walk down with him. So let's welcome Jeff Pollock to the show. How are you doing, Jeff? Doing great. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing very well. So as we start these, just introduce the audience to who is Jeff, where you at, where you live, what you do today, uh, and then we'll start peeling back your story. All right. So, yes, yeah, so I live in Redwood City. I am a full-time real estate investor. I have been full-time since actually had the anniversary last month of my uh, layoff from my day job, which was great. Uh, that was the end of 2012. So I've been full-time since then. Uh, as you, you noted, I started out of state 2011, focused really on buy and hold, then segued into flipping out of state, then changed up into flipping locally. And um, in my previous life, I worked in biotech. I was a scientist. Oh, very cool. So let's, let's peel back. There's a couple things in your, this origin story that I want to peel back just for the audience. Uh, first off, starting in 11, uh, you have that layoff event in 12. Yeah. Um, kind of, and, and you wear that as a badge of honor, clearly with the way you were excited about it, right? The anniversary and all of that. But sort of talk about, because a lot of people because I think we're going into a cyclical downturn. And, and when that happens, layoff happen, right? It's just, it's a part of our business cycle. So talk about, um, I guess, the confidence that you built up. It sounds like you were doing it a year, maybe a year and a half before that announcement that gave you that confidence um, to go full-time in 12. Because I think a lot of people need to be using this last end of this business cycle to educate themselves and create a plan B as opposed to getting the notice and not having a plan B. So uh, talk about mm -hmm. what you did pre-announcement to get comfortable, please. So I had, you know, I, I got into this real estate thing doing buy and hold. I, I had a buy and hold mentality. Flipping scared me. Just wasn't even on my radar. 
working this day job. And my original plan was, I mean, really the, the real estate was on the radar as my, my emancipation. Right. That was going to get me out of the day job. So I had this long medium term goal at the time. At least that's the way it was in my head. <laughs> the plan was I'm going to collect these out of state cash flowing properties, primarily single family, some small multis, duplexes, triplexes, fourplex, that sort of thing. Yep. And as soon as the cash flow from those buying holds matched my day job income. So I wasn't being overly aggressive. A lot of people, you know, smart people will say, oh, it's got to be double, triple what your, yeah. your day job is. And I was just, I needed out. So I, I wasn't real picky. I just said, no, as soon as it matches on paper, I'm out. But I realized relatively quickly that those single family homes really did not cash flow the way they look like they would on paper. Yeah. So, so that was going to be a long drawn out plan. And I knew it wasn't going to work, but I still wasn't crazy about the flipping thing. And, you know, I, I really hated the day job though. I don't, I'm not a good employee. I just don't like working for people. And, you know, my wife would say, why don't you just quit? You hate this job. And I always had reasons and excuses for why it was the time. And, you know, I was basically uncomfortable, but I wasn't uncomfortable enough to just yeah. jump on it. Yeah. So really, you know, you know when the layoffs happened, we had, we had months of runway. Nobody knew exactly who was going to be gone or how bad it was going to be, but everybody knew it was going to be bad. Right. And so I had time to get my head around it and just, you know, kind of decided, hey, you know what? I, I don't know if it's going to be me, but I sure hope it is. I, I even went so far as to tell my supervisor, I hope I got laid off because I didn't want to stay. Right. And I, I committed to it. And I just decided and told myself, you know what? This layoff is going to be the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And I'm, I'm burning all the bridges. I'm going to tell everyone exactly what I think so I can't come back this way. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to do this real estate thing full time. And that was, that was kind of the kick I needed. Because I don't know if or when I would have left of my own volition. I mean, I was getting pretty fed up, but yeah. they really did me a favor. So I just decided this is going to be great. And it ended up being, being great. And, you know, I, I added uh, the year, I, for the year after I got laid off, I ended, added another 10 buy and hold properties, which sounds a little backward with, hey, you didn't even have a day job. How did you get 10 more properties? But yeah. You know, it was, a lot of it was out of necessity and being more creative and, and confident and experienced and knowing the right people. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's the best thing that ever happened. I mean, it didn't last. I changed tactics as, you know, we'll go into. But that was sort of the initial, the initial pick. So I have a lot of respect for people who, who actually have the guts to just say, I'm quitting and I'm just done. Yeah. Because I really got, I got helped. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the door. And oh, by the way, here's a small severance package, you know. And then you yeah. burn the bridges. So it's, it, it's all good. So, so that first year out, it sounded like you're still primarily buy and hold, or at least that was the initial thing. Yeah. What was the, what was the event or the mindset shift that said, you know what, I need to build some chunks of money. Yeah. So it was really, as I was collecting more buy and holds, I think the time of the layoff between my wife and I, there's some in her name, some in my name, but then I refinanced everything into my name right before the layoffs so I could get her back down to zero and okay. build her up. Yeah. Because, um, you know, there's a 10 loan thing and everything. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it became pretty clear as I was collecting more of these at a faster clip. And I had a few 
I had a couple more tax returns in the rearview mirror. Yeah. realized, all right, these things really, they're not cash flowing the way I was hoping they'd cash flow. I've got to do something else. And I needed income. Yep. So then, you know, I had my teams built out of state in the Atlanta metro area, Dallas, Fort Worth. And the new model became, look, anything that I can keep through buying at a deep enough discount, creative financing, where I can rate term refi and basically own a place with no money out of pocket, I'll keep those. Okay. I couldn't, even if something looked like an amazing deal, I, I couldn't leave twenty or $30,000 in cash in a property. Got it. So I, I could only keep the ones where I could get all my money out. So I kept those, just the most cherry deals and everything else I just sold. I, I sold them into, you know, the retail markets there. I sold some to people here in the Bay Area as turnkey properties and it generated income. Very cool. Well, one of the things I definitely want to talk about in this part of the story, those buy and holds that probably look like they cash flow great on the Excel spreadsheet, but in reality and the tax returns, they didn't because there's a lot of Bay area folks that are, uh, that are enamored with quote unquote out of state, the Midwest, the yeah. South. And they keep telling me these Excel spreadsheet numbers. I'm like, God, you know, until you own them, you just don't know. And um, I'm afraid a lot of people are and, and today. The cycle is entirely different, right? We are at the top, right? You were buying back in 12 where the numbers still had a chance. Yeah. So tell people about that experience that Excel math is not reality. So, you know, your mileage may vary. And I still, I talk to people who swear that I, I'm wrong, <laughs> but I, here's, here's my perspective on the buy and hold, especially pertaining to single family. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really don't think they cash flow. It's, in any given year, you know, everybody underestimates the maintenance costs, they underestimate the CapEx, they underestimate the cost of turnovers. And it, it, my experience is in pretty much any given year, you're gonna have one of four or five things that can happen that just are gonna wipe out your cash flow for the year. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a vacancy, which God forbid, if it comes within an eviction and it's all dragged out, you're going to lose a couple years. Yeah. Uh, but it could be a vacancy or an AC going out or a roof or uh, whatever it is. Um, those are probably the biggest three. Right. Uh, any of those things happen, you're, you're just kind of done, right? And what I discovered is again my philosophy if you're going to do if you're going to buy especially single family now a duplex triplex everything add a door the more doors you add the more it works if you want cash flow get multifamily. the more doors the better but if you're thinking single family is going to cash flow i, I don't think it does it, it certainly over time you might have one year that's amazing but the next year you're going to have the whole thing or two years wiped out if 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 you're going to buy single family, buy in the, in the path of progress, buy with great schools, buy good neighborhoods, because you're really buying, you're getting appreciation is where the money is. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's, it's also, you got to be in it for a bit. Now I got the benefit of, like you said, I kind of bought near the bottom. I also was doing direct mail. I was buying at a discount relative to the bottom. Mm -hmm. So I had some properties that within three, four years doubled, but that was great because that's pretty much where all the money was because yeah. they didn't cash flow. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, single family is, is a get rich slow kind of, or get wealthy slow, not a get rich quick thing. And it works great. If you hold it for a while, you buy it at the right time, you get the, I don't know, that hockey stick at about year 16 or so, mm -hmm. where you're pouring way more money into the principal than the interest. And of course you're getting 
compounded leveraged yep. appreciation. It's great stuff. And if that's what you're going into it, perfect. I'm all for it. You should do it. But don't think you're going to cash flow because it's, you're pretty much not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, even the Excel spreadsheets will tell you it's 100 or $200 or whatever it is. And we all know Excel lies if you've been in this game long enough. Um, so, yeah, definitely. And then being out of state just adds a whole nother layer of risk and issues, I would assume. Yeah, it, is. it does. It's, you know, first, when I started out of state, Texas ended up being a little bit better. But in Georgia, you know, I lost a bunch of money before I landed on good people. Yeah whether they were contractors or property managers or a roofer or whatever it is, agents, uh, you're, you're, you know, you're going to get, you have to get really lucky to, to land good people. It's hard enough when it's in your own backyard. So out of state is definitely dicey. And even if you do get, let's say you get your hundred or a couple hundred bucks a month that pencils out. So you need dozens of those things that have yeah. any appreciable effect on your life. And if you're going to have dozens of those, then it's just, you know, is that many more points of friction? Yeah, no, I Or things that. are going to go wrong and you're going to have more drama. So, yeah, single family is great. If you're going to buy them, buy them somewhere where you think they're going to appreciate. Because otherwise, you, you know, you buy something in, in the middle of nowhere that looks like it cash flows. And the problem is in 20 years, it's worth exactly what you paid for. <laughs> Yeah, and you had yeah, you had big vacancies or whatever when that one tenant moved out or died or whatever happens. Yeah, totally, yeah. To totally right. All right, so um, so so you start to flip. You start. I just call it chunk money. You call it whatever you want. Wholesale flipping, whatever. Right. You're getting these big chunks versus small streams of possible cash flow. Mm -hmm. um, do you remember your first deal you did that on? Uh, on my own? Yeah. The first couple of properties I bought, I actually bought two turnkey properties in Texas. Okay. So they don't, they don't really count. Um, and after doing that, I thought, yeah, I don't need that guy in the middle. I can just do this myself and, yeah. and started, you know, uh, built a team and started, started, uh, collecting the buy and holds out of state. But the first flips I did, you know, they were still in retrospect, they were tiny chunks of money. They were out of state. They were yeah. in Georgia or Texas. And, you know, by then I built the team was flipping, but you know, if you're flipping 150, 30, $20,000 property, you know, if you make $20,000 on it, it's like, Hey, this is amazing. This is right. great. And you know, it's funny because I don't, I don't even remember the first one out of state. It was like, you know, 2012 or something and doesn't stick out that much. Right. So, really so you probably made 15 or 20 K. Do you, what was it a flip meaning you bought it, you repaired it, you sold it 90 yeah, exactly. 20 days later. Okay. Yeah. I bought it, renovated it, flipped it. Very cool. Exactly. And again, you were, you were marketing. It sounds like you were doing direct mail. Well, yeah, I started at the time. Actually, I started out just uh, working with agents. You know, back then yeah. you could still get decent deals on the MLS. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, but then, you know, that started getting tapped out. It's funny to look back and think, oh, the market, that market's too hot now. You can't find anything on MLS because it's, it's, yeah, they really haven't slowed since then. But it was true back then. You couldn't find much that made sense. Uh, so, yeah, I started doing direct mail and just, closing deals over the phone. Wow. Very cool. All right. Very cool. And then, okay. So what, so now you fast forward, you're doing out of state, you're making little chunks of money. Uh, I, did you ever travel out there? I mean, I guess you traveled out there to meet the team and I stuff. Did. Yeah. At the beginning I did travel out there and to get the team together and all that. But then it got to a point where 
once I had people on the ground I trusted, I, you know, I, I got to know the market. I, I knew what my costs were and I could just talk to someone. I could, I could look at pictures of the outside of their house and that gives you, if the outside looks great, the inside probably looks great. If it looks terrible, you know what the inside looks like. Yeah. And just based upon photos, sometimes maybe I'd have someone on the ground take pictures for me, but usually just upon, based on a Google you know, street view and talking to the person about their house and what they've done to it when they did it and knowing the square footage, I pretty much knew within five or 10% what it was going to cost me to renovate. Very cool. And I could just make intelligent offers on the phone. Very cool. So uh, again, before you come to California, were you doing like 20 a year or do you remember? Yeah, I was doing, you know, between, I'd say, transactions between the ones I was keeping the ones I was flipping it's probably doing 15 to 20 a year out there okay and you're still having yeah. fun you're still thankful you don't have your w2 it's not like you ever looked back and said shoot uh, definitely no I remember early on I mean it wasn't easy it's never it was easy everyone would do it but I, yeah. I remember complaining about how you know having all this drama and I remember for a few months probably at least six to eight months my talk to my dad and you know he'd say boy you sure you don't want to get your cv together maybe look for just a plan b and i would just think like you're insane no that's not that's not an option there is no plan b this is it this is it oh so yeah there was some drama but i wouldn't yeah it made i wasn't even thinking about going back yeah you burn the bridges burn the boats whatever your analogy happened to be you were you were all in that's very cool yeah it was all good the freedom is good yeah. So let's, uh, cause a lot of people talk about this. You've already mentioned you you're married. So your wife in this case, uh, clearly 100% on board. No, no questions asked. She's yeah, totally. I'm actually really lucky that way. Uh, the, you know, like I said, she was the one who was encouraging me to quit my job. You now she, she's got a job, which is, it's a pretty chill job. It was easier cause she's got the benefits and the, the health insurance for everybody and all that. So that made it easier to, to leave. But yeah, she was the one, she was telling me to quit before I was ready to just quit. And there are times where I'm just thinking, boy, if the roles were reversed, I don't know if yeah. I'd be willing to give myself this much rope. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Very, very cool. All right. So let's talk about what, what was the transition or the mindset shift that said, you know what, this out of state stuff is, I don't know, interesting, maybe not as game changing that brought you back to the Bay area. Cause the process of flipping is probably similar, but the freaking numbers are different. Yeah, the numbers are pretty stark. So, you know, I'd say I eventually, you know, what got me out of state versus local, because I was thinking real estate way before I started. Although, again, the idea of flipping scared the hell out of me. I didn't know how to find the money and buy and hold made no sense. Uh, I mean, in retrospect, I now knowing what I know now, I could have made it work all day long. But at the time, I couldn't do it. And Mm -hmm. I had a limiting mindset. But then eventually... You know, the out-of-state stuff just, on the one hand, it's, hey, this is great. I could have a deal or two or three, and I did, go sideways, and it's not the end of the world. I can recover from that. Right. Versus in the Bay Area, you have a, you could have a deal go sideways, and, and you're, you know, you're, you're in trouble. Yeah. Talking, you could be well into six-figure damage. It could get very ugly. So that was really scary. So I liked initially the, the risk being spread out over several different properties. But then the, the, the balance shifted from, hey, this is great, I like it here because it's not so risky and the numbers are big to, wow, it's, there's too much transactional friction. 
There's too much drama. I can't, there's, there's way too many things to juggle, way too many things that can go wrong. And there's way too little upside at the end. Got it. So, so then it became, yeah. hey, the Barry is the same damn thing. It's just you add an extra zero to everything, but it's exactly the same. And it's in my backyard. So I, I'm just going to do it here. Yeah. So I'll just summarize what I think you said is uh, out of state was the risk reward was more comfortable, but as the volume increase, the failure points or whatever increased kind of, yeah, making the transactional volume plus times risk equal what it would be here. So coming to the Bay Area is like, okay, I'll do one or two and have more control, less risk. I'm closer to it. And, and it's like, yeah, oh, that's easier at this point. It's just less balls. I mean, you know, whether you're flipping a house, it's a hundred thousand dollars or 2 million, it's the same drama. Same thing. So I don't, I, I have to do like a dozen deals in Georgia to equal one decent one here. That's awesome. So okay. once I got to the point of, Oh, I'm more confident. I know what I'm doing. I know the people. I know where to find the money. It all became, it's just much easier. All right. So did you just go cold turkey or like one day you were marketing to, you know, the South or Texas and then suddenly it's like, nope, turn that off. Going to start marketing in the Bay Area or how's the transition? You know, it was a bit of a transition. Early on, you know, what brought me actually into the Bay Area, again, another de-risking is I, I started working with a partner here. Ah, okay. I met a guy through a mutual friend and this guy was doing something similar to what I was doing. He's buying, doing some buy and hold out of state, doing some flipping out of state. And this mutual friend introduced us and this guy said, well, Hey, let's, do you want to partner and do deals locally? And my thought was, well, yeah, if I'm going to do business in a third market, I don't want it to be remote. Yeah. And Hey, I've got a partner, share some of the risk. Okay, sure. Let's do it here locally. Okay. Now the partnership did not work out. We can go into that some more if you want, but the partnership didn't work out. But by then I had transitioned okay. and it was again, a little easier than just me on my own. I transitioned with a partner and then realized, Oh, I don't, I don't need a partner for this. I can, I really have this down. I can pull it all off. So did you ever do a deal with the partner or did it just make you feel easier to go here than you're like, for whatever reason that didn't work out or did you do at least a deal together or we did, I think three or four together. Okay. So, so again, you eased into the market, you de-risked by sharing half the risk with someone else right. that again had issues around it. You're like, not worth the headache. I'm going to go all in on myself. That's right. And for the first, for a while, I was still doing this, the out of state stuff at the same time that oh, wow. my partner and I were flipping here locally. Okay. Uh, but then when I went off on my own, I cut, just went cold turkey on the out-of-state stuff. All right. So let's talk about that first solo opportunity. What city was it in? What are the rough numbers? What year was it? Yeah, let's think. That was probably, this is 2019. Uh, I think that was maybe 20, first solo was probably 20. 14, maybe 2015, late, I think. Late, late 14, early 15, yeah. Yeah, the first solo one. It took a little bit of time to get some traction because then by then I also transitioned from my partner and I were mostly doing stuff out in the East Bay, Walnut Creek area. And then when I was doing it on my own, I was doing Silicon Valley. Ah, okay. And so again, bigger numbers, more yeah. competition, harder to find some things. And I think that first one solo was probably 2015 okay. and it, uh, it was funny. It was in Palo Alto. Oh, wow. Well, let's talk about it. Yeah. So that one was pretty, that was pretty cool. It happened, you know, 
I think that was technically the first one, but then there was another one that happened almost the same time in, in San Carlos. But the Palo Alto one, I, I believe I got under contract with it a month or two sooner. And that one came, that actually came out of my network. That oh, wow. came from a guy. So I, up until a year ago now, I ran a meetup in San Jose for five years. Mm. And I got a guy who brought me, he sent this agent my way who had this deal in Palo Alto. And I, you know, at first I didn't pay much attention to it. A, they wanted a crazy amount of money. The guy who passed it on to me is also an investor. And I just thought, all right, well, he's passing on it. Yeah. It probably doesn't make a lot of sense or it wouldn't be finding its way to me. And they wanted what seemed like too much money. And I, I just said, okay, I'll pay this much for it, figuring I'm not going to hear from him again. Okay. But then he kept following up and eventually it became, okay, if you're willing to write today, you can have it for that number. And then, you know, I realized, wow, this just, this just got real. Now I have to figure out if I can actually do this. And, um, I didn't have much time to, to, to decide. I actually brought in a, a buddy of mine as a partner just because I knew, hey, he's got money and I can say yes right now and we can close this. Yeah. So I ended up bringing in a partner on that one and you know, it worked out really well because it was, it was in Midtown Palo Alto, just the classic cheapest house in the best neighborhood and cleaned it up, put maybe $140,000 into it or something. And the net on that was almost 400 K. And how long over what duration? Like four months, six months, maybe two three. months, three months. There three, you go. Yeah. From start cool. to finish. Yeah. Very cool. So I'm just curious, um, the number that they started at that crazy number and the number that you held firm to, are we talking 10%, 20%? Do you remember the Delta roughly? Oh gosh, I think, I feel like they were asking like 2 million, 1.9, 2 million. I think I got it from 1.6. Okay. All right. So you're talking 15% roughly? Yeah. Uh, 12%. Okay. All right. And again, you held firm to your number. You knew your numbers, all of that stuff. So that's cool. All right. So now you have proof of concept in the Bay Area. You got Palo Alto yeah. done. It sounds like you had another one at San Carlos. Uh, right. does, does it just ramp exponentially from there or do you, do you do one or, I mean, do you control the flow or, I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you, yeah, exponential is a strong, a strong word. You know, because <laughs> it's, it's deal flow. It's tough to do volume here, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. And you don't have to, which is nice. You know, for a while I just wrestled with the idea that, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm just a poser. I don't have real business. I don't have amazing systems or teams or any of that stuff. But then I realized, well, you know, that's not what I'm doing this for. And I, I am lucky enough to live in one of the few parts of the country where I don't have to do volume and I can make a lot of money in this business right. and only do a handful of these. So, you know, I've, I've stuck pretty much from the beginning. I've got, you know, I get maybe a, a, a deal a year from the network. Okay. But and uh, maybe a deal or two, deal a year from agents that make sense. But most, mostly what I get is from my direct marketing. But, okay. you know, even since the beginning, it's worse now. But even when response rate was really good, it was still, you know, 1% or a fraction of a percent. Yeah. So it's a numbers game. And I, but I, luckily, again, I don't need a lot. I don't need high numbers to do real well. I, I basically seem to be able to squeeze a lot out of every deal. And 
So to say, well, it went up exponentially, you know, not really. I, ever since the beginning, when I started in the Bay Area, I've never done more than like five to seven deals a year. Well, that, that frankly is what I was hoping to hear because again, knowing the Bay Area numbers, I mean, and you don't, you don't need, here's the big deal. There's so many, it sounds like you wrestled with this too. And, and I wrestle with it today is so many people around us flash teams and systems and click funnels and, and you know, how many transaction coordinators and uh, no, you don't have to do all of that. If you just focus on your business, do four to seven transactions that have real meat on the bone, you, you can yeah. provide a very nice living uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, so I, that's yes. awesome. Uh, I am curious about your direct marketing. Are you spending like five grand a month or two grand or 20 grand? Or yeah, you know, that's, that's about right. It, it kind of depends on the mail piece, whether it's a postcard versus a letter. You're talking, you know, postcards are roughly half the price. But I'd say I, I send when I'm consistent, like I'm supposed to be, uh, I'll send about six, 7,000 pieces a month. Yep. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so again, you do this, you, so you wear the moniker of a million dollar flipper uh, in the Bay Area. So that's, again, it's, it's so awesome. It's, you know, let's just call it six transactions a year. Um, and again, Silicon Valley. Primarily. Right. I mean, I've done deals from Walnut Creek down, you know, into Oakland and South Bay, San Jose. But I live, I've got to the point now when I started out, I would have, I would have done anything and everything, right? right. But you know, now I'm to the point of, listen, I live in Redwood City, so and I don't want to go more than like a half hour from my house. That's so awesome. <laughs> that's where I'll market. Now, I mean, again, it's nice because a half hour north of San Francisco and a half hour south of San Jose, it covers yeah. a big swamp. But yeah. I, don't I don't seek things out anywhere else, although something finds its way to me and it makes sense, great. Right. But there are really only a handful of cities yeah. within probably 20 minutes of where I live, where I'm actually marketing. Very cool. So I'm curious when you look, when you, if you kind of have an outer body experience for a minute and kind of be someone else looking at your business, what do you think is the hardest part? Is it finding the deal, structuring the money, managing the contractors, selling it maybe? I mean, because lots of people look at this business and the numbers just freak them out. But, but yeah. what's the hard part? Well, I, you know, I understand people's thinking starting out where everything seems really hard, but right now the, the one thing that has been and remains consistently hard is just finding a deal yeah. that makes sense. Okay. And the money's easy to find, which again, it's, it's easy for me to say that starting out, you think, what, what do you do? Where do you find the money? And it's hard. It seems daunting and they're big numbers, but really the money is easy to find. Money's cheap. Yeah. Um, the, the the contractors that's a close second though to finding the deal contractors are difficult to do <laughs> yes yes they, they can are. be they can make or break you so if you have a good one hold on to them and i, I happen to have a, a couple good ones which is nice but still finding the deal is the toughest thing that's it and everything else is secondary and easy by comparison okay all right so now as we kind of look at the market today and we try to look in our crystal ball which we, we know nobody really has do you yeah. see the market changing at all, right? Has your hold times gotten longer or, you know? I, yeah, definitely. The market, I'd say it's, we're on playing. It probably really peaked about a, over a year ago. I mean, oh, okay. I think like not even this past summer, but the summer before, 
maybe peaked isn't the right word, but it, it got softer. Right. A year and a half ago, probably back, okay. you know, things that were, you know, when the things, things that were selling, when the market was doing this, people will buy things they don't really want because yes. they're, they have a conversation that's along the lines of, Oh, I know, honey. I know it's on a busy street. I know the, the water is a little wonky. I know we want a three, two, not a two, one, but the market's doing this. Yeah. We have to buy something and we can add square footage or fix this or change out later, but we have to get in. Yeah. Not this past summer, but the summer before is when I started noticing, Oh, the weird stuff isn't selling now. Now that stuff is sitting and things on the busy streets things on the you know flag lots things with weird layouts even even i had a couple places at the beginning of the year things that i bought probably a year ago i guess that i was then going to sell into the next year thinking all right yeah it's slow now but it's going to pick up it always picks up nice areas but not nice enough for a 2-1 uh-huh. and then the 2-1 in my mind at that point became oh that's the other thing that people they don't really want that the 2-1 is what they buy when they can't get the 3-2 uh-huh. and they rationalize it and i had issues i had a couple two ones i was selling great rehabs decent areas and they sold for like a hundred thousand less than i was penciling in wow Yes, that was kind of a kind of a bummer. So uh, yeah, I'd say things are definitely slowing down. People are getting more picky. People are, you know, will come with they want contingencies, which was not a thing for years. It's just yeah, really content. Look, here's my inspection. This is what you're going to get, and if you don't like it, I've got six other people who don't care. Right. But that's not necessarily the case now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so that actually brings up a question. Talking about the two one, is your model kind of I'll, you'll do anything you can to existing footprint, but you're not adding a master suite, for example, or do you add yeah. things? I, you know, I, I have added, geez, let me think. There's actually one deal I've added to. I mean, I say, oh yeah, I'll add if I need to add. And I've got things where I've made offers on places thinking, oh, I'm going to add. Okay. But for the most part, I haven't. And it's not that I, I won't add, but most of, most of what I've done has been in the footprint. Maybe I'll add a bathroom, but it's in the footprint. Yep. Uh, you know, I'll touch every surface. It'll look like a new house. I'll move walls. I'll take walls out, et cetera, et cetera. But still in, in you know, in the footprint. Yeah. If I will add square footage for sure, if it makes sense, you know, there are two things that kind of conflicting in my mind with that. One is I don't want to be exposed for a really long time. Yes. The market's changing. I, I really have always liked to be in and out of things within six months or less. Nice. Which is tough to do if you're adding square footage. On the other hand, if you can build for $250 or $300 a square foot and you can sell for $1,200, that pencils out really well and it's a very good way to force appreciation and act as a buffer against any kind of slowdown. Yes, yes. So it's really, I look at it on a, you know, a case by case basis and also city by city. You know, there are some cities where if you're under 500 square feet, it's over the counter, it's easy and chill. Whereas you're somewhere like if you're in Menlo Park, there is nothing over the counter. Every single thing just goes into the same funnel as, as Facebook construction. It's just, and it takes forever and they're really difficult to deal with. So, you know, I'll factor that in, but I'm not averse to adding square footage. Yeah. I am curious about this. So I think we both see the market kind of, I don't know, at least on a plateau, getting softer, buyers getting pickier, all of that. Um, this is going to be your first 
market adjustment, at least Bay Area adjustment, right? Because you started yeah. at a pretty good time, right? Like the market's yeah. like, it's hard to make a mistake when the market does this, right? Oh yeah, everybody looks smart. Everybody looks like a genius. Um, but I mean, how do you adjust your model? Let's assume we have a 15% adjustment in the Bay Area because it's freaking unaffordable uh, today, yeah. in my opinion. Does, does your model change? You just buy cheaper or maybe you'll only do additions because you can build for 250 and sell for a thousand or have you thought about how your model might change? You know, I, I wrestled with that a lot and then I realized, you know, after reading what other people are doing, listening to, listening to people smarter than I am, doing podcasts and seeing what their advice is. And I realized that I was probably being overly conservative on the upswing. <laughs> because the things that they were saying that you should do to prepare for the downturn are all things that I'd been doing all this time, which to some extent I knew because there are things I passed on that, I mean, I knew the people who bought them. I knew exactly what they made on them. And I thought, Oh my God, they killed it. And I could have made great money on that. Yeah. But you know, I want to sleep at night. And, and if I'm going to buy something, if I make an offer and somebody says, yes, I don't want to be thinking, Oh my God, they said, yes, what am I going to do? I want to just be thinking, fantastic, I cannot wait to close this because I just, I'm going to count the days until I'm going to the bank. This is going to be amazing no matter right. what. Uh, or worst case scenario, there's no way I'm going to lose money. Yeah. So I, I haven't changed things up too much. Now, I, I underwrite things a little bit more tightly now, accounting for, huh, all things being equal, the price, it may be worth less. You know, I used to underwrite for what's it worth today if it was done? And if I got appreciation, it was a bonus and I got a lot of bonuses. Yes, you did. And now it's, and now it's more like, well, what is it worth today? And I better knock a few percent off of that and make my offer accordingly. And, you know, so far, again, it's been okay. But I know there is more drama on the sales side. People are not as you know, desperate to buy things. Yeah. Certain neighborhoods are totally, they're not changed. They're, they're holding up great. Yeah. Uh, and there's always going to be limited in whatever San Carlos with the great schools or Cupertino, there's always gonna be more people than there are properties for those. Those are pretty safe. Yeah. But you know, my underwriting really has always been pretty tight and never, I never think or thought in terms of, wow, what's the upside? This could be amazing. It's really always been okay. If things really go badly, how bad does it get? And if the answer is, Oh, I won't lose money. It's a good deal. I'm going to do it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you have a story over the last four years since being in the Bay area that was a negative surprise, like something like you should have known or something caught you or any, any gotchas on a flip, a negative surprise. Well, you know, I'm trying to think, uh, well, I had those two, those two, two ones that sold okay. for like a hundred thousand less than I thought, which, you know, on, on one of them, there was what seemed like a good comp right around the corner and, you know, it was the highest thing, price thing in the neighborhood, but thinking that's it. That's as high as it can go. We should be able to get that. And look, our backyard is so much better and blah, blah, blah. And at the time, I remember I was racing. I can't remember exactly when I bought it, but I remember when the timing worked out. It was, okay, if we can just turn this really quick, we can be on the market before the election. So it was before the midterms. Okay. Was like, we got to get on the market before the election. Okay, great. So that kind of wiped out the idea of adding square footage, which I was trying to avoid doing because I didn't want to have the place for eight or 10 months, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Now, in retrospect, I ended up having it for eight or 10 months because 
by the time I got on the market, it was only a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. And it, obviously the market had softened and or changed. So I had to just pull it off. I didn't close until probably February or March the next year. And I, I made not, I made beer money on that. I, I made like $12,000 on that deal. It's like everybody made money but me. Yeah. And, you know, so in retrospect, I was stupid for not adding square footage because the bedrooms were small. The lot was enormous in the back. I was pitching it as, look, you can add square footage. And I really should have just added the square footage and I would have made a killing. Gotcha. All so right. yeah, that wasn't a good one. And then at this, like right on the heels of that, I had another one, another two one in a better neighborhood, cuter house. Again, everything should have been great. I had this comp around the corner on a busy street. I was thinking, I'm good to go. And it sold for about 100,000 less than I was anticipating. Wow, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but again, so I made money. Though. It wasn't the worst thing in the world. Like yeah. I complain about this kind of stuff. Like, you know, I'd be all annoyed and my wife will put things in perspective. She's like, well, did you make any money on that one? I said, like, yeah, I made like $40,000. It's really annoying. And she's like, <laughs> Honey, you made a new car. What the heck? Relax. Yeah, I, I know. I know. It's, I, it's good to have perspective. <laughs> yeah. So as you roll into 2020, I'm curious what your inventory looks like. You have what, three projects going on now? One? What, what do you say? No, right now, you know, I had maybe about two months ago, I, I, I had a week where I had like three things sell. Oh, nice. And, and I was, you know, don't do this at home. I was totally slack with my marketing. So I had about a two month window from the time those things closed until like right now where I had no marketing going out. So oddly enough, I didn't have a lot of deal flow other than, you know, some agents bringing me things that are, eh, it's yeah. kind of marginal, kind of marginal. Um, so now my phone's ringing, which is, which is good. So I'm hoping to get at least one or two under contract before the year is out. But right now I've got no active single family fix and flips. And what I do have going on that has been on a, um, a low boil for some of these projects have gone on for a couple of years. So I've got a couple large development projects in San Francisco oh, that are wow. going right now. Wow. Yeah. You're a brave man playing in San Francisco. I wouldn't touch anything up there. That, all that regulation and nonsense that they have. Woo. Yeah. It's a little tricky. I couldn't imagine. Yeah. All right. So as you wrap, as you wrap, I guess going forward, you're just going to keep doing what you do, do four to six, seven transactions a year. Yeah, I would like to keep doing what I'm doing. And, and also what I've been doing for the last few years in the background is anything that I do not need to live on or have fun on in terms of income. I'm just trying to plow it into passive things like so that it was that like what when you say oh, like what? so you know I'm, I'll, I'll invest with people out of state who okay. do what I do but I can get way better returns uh, I'll do syndication deals ah, okay um, I've got a guy this is kind of neat I know a guy who does funding of streaming content that he sells he, he buys the rights and sells to HBO oh, nice. and needs investors and I like that that is not real estate and that provides a pretty good return. So I'll do those whenever the opportunity arises. So, you know, the idea, I love, I love this, the, the flipping thing in the Bay Area, but it has, a, it has even the best of times. It's got a bit of a roller coaster nature to it. Oh, you know, yeah. it's, it, my fortunes can change with a phone call, but in the interim, there could be, you know, nothing. So my goal for the last few years has been, okay, while that roller coaster is going on, I just want a constant, steady, boring stream of income. Oh, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you've diversified because some people get into this and it's kind of like all eggs in one basket. 
And that's what caught a lot of people. Again, I've been doing this 20 years and I saw lots of people in your position, seven figure earners, all of that, but they were all in and then the market turned and they were bankrupt. Yeah, that should be everybody's worst nightmare, especially yeah. with the prospects of a downturn coming is, I know a lot of people like that too, got wiped out, really smart people, mm -hmm. killing it. And then they were, they were overexposed when the, the bottom hit, when the bottom dropped. Well, I'm, glad, I'm glad you built those streams. Very, very, very smart. Well, I want to thank you, Jeff, for your time. This has been so much fun. I love seeing success. We should do lunch somewhere, maybe Mountain View, Redwood City. I'd, I'd love that because uh, I'm just down the road from you. Oh, perfect. Yeah, let's definitely get together. All right. Thank you very much and have a great day. Thanks. You too, Mike.